Well, good morning. It is good to be here today with you. I don't often get to preach, but when I do, it's always a privilege, and I appreciate it. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Dennis Tollison, and my job here at LifePoint is one of the pastors, is pastor of administration. My other real love is global missions. So myself, along with several talented, God-anointed leaders here in LifePoint, we run global missions for the church. You have a job, and then you come to church and volunteer. I have a job as global, or as pastor administration, and my volunteer is global missions pastor. But that's one of my true loves, one of my heartbeats. And so today I want to do two things. I want to encourage you. So when you leave here, I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to be challenged. I want you to be encouraged in who you are as a child of the king. And then I want you to be challenged by what, because you're a child of the king, we're supposed to be about here on earth, our time here. Let me start out this morning with a trick question. How many kinds of people are there in the world? Anybody want to throw out a guess? Six? Two. That's a good answer. Two. I'm going to contend this morning as we set up this message that there are only two kinds of people according to God. Now, there are thousands of kinds of people, but in God's economy, there's only two. Paul said in Galatians 3, 28 and 29... This, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So those are the first type of people. Those are the kind that are the children of the king, heirs according to promise. Those who belong to Jesus. Now, I'm going to point over here to my right throughout my message that those who are under grace, children of the king, are going to be on this side of me, imaginatively. And over here, we're going to imagine another group of people, the second kind of people. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says it this way, this other kind of person. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience. So we're going to have sons of disobedience under the dominion of darkness, and sons of obedience, dominion of light, under Christ at enmity with Christ and God. So only two types of people in the world. One, righteous under the control of Jesus, and here, unrighteous under the control of Satan. Let me pray before we jump into this. Father God, we're here about you and your glory alone. And so God, I pray right now that through the Holy Spirit, you would teach us what we might need to learn today. I pray that you would encourage my church family and that you would challenge them through this message today. Would you anoint the words that are going to be spoken, that they would not come back void, but they would produce many a harvest. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So two types of people. It's extremely important that you get this concept this morning in order to feel encouraged and challenged. So I'm going to read two more passages kind of quickly. If you're wondering, is this really true? 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11 says this way. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Colossians 1, 13 through 21 says it this way, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness... And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. 
And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Do you get that? You're either under the control of the demonic realm or you're under the control of the Holy Spirit realm. You're either under the dominion of darkness, at enmity with God, or you're a child of the king, reconciled and at peace with God. It is of utmost importance this morning for you to understand this to be encouraged and challenged. The passage above that I just read um, says if you're a child of the king, in other words, what's a child of the king? The Bible says someone who has repented of their willful disobedience and rebellion towards God, and now they believe that the bodily death and resurrection of Jesus paid the eternal price for their sin, and now, in faith, you surrender your will to him and commit your life to Jesus' rule and kingdom. Then you're in the grace group. Pastor George likes to say it this way, that if you're under Christ, you have your past forgiven, and I would say forgotten. You have a new place in heaven and a new earth, and now you have a new purpose for living. But what is this purpose for living? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Pastor George just spent five weeks, and Doug spent first of two weeks, Doug will be back next week, telling you what this purpose is. George went in detail over five weeks. You can hear all their messages if you want to go on our website, go to Vimeo, and you can pull those up. But I'm going to compile all of George's messages today in kind of the summation of what is our purpose. What is our privilege of being a child of the king? What's our high calling? If you read all these four passages we just went over in detail, you'll find that our high calling is to make his excellencies known, to glorify him, to perform good works, to proclaim him, to glorify him. Paul finishes Colossians 1 this way. Paul says, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, to whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What are the riches among this mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So then 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. So our main calling is to go to the dominion of darkness group, make Christ known to them so that they can become dominion of light. It's pretty simple, really. We try to complicate it. Pastors love to complicate it, but it's pretty simple. Once we're under Christ, our job isn't just to know the Bible better. We study the Bible so we know how to love God and make him known to the, to locally and to the nations. We minister and edify the body here in the local church so that we're healthy enough mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually in order to go to this group and make him known. So our ultimate call, I'll contend and challenge you today, is to make him known, to make his glories known. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says it this way. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Great news. But it goes on to say, how then can they call upon his name in the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to this group of Jesus. Our job is to go. That's the challenge for today, to go locally and globally to make him known, to bring glory to our king. But before we move on, let me encourage you for a moment. 
I said I wanted to do two things, challenge you and encourage you. Let me encourage you. If you're in this group under the blood of Jesus in Christ, it says you're under grace and you are a beloved child of the King. Do you realize that? You're a beloved child of the King. You're loved and nurtured by the one who can move the very molecules of the invisible, invisible world for your good and to bring him glory. You are chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy being, reconciled to God and now at peace with him. He adores you. You are his workmanship. He loves you. You are his and he is yours. Let that soak in for a minute moment. As a child of the king, you are loved by God. It doesn't matter what lies you tell yourself or what lies the world tells you. If you're under Christ, your identity is in him and you are a beloved child of Jesus. You are his and he is working for your good to do what? To make us into the image of Christ, that Genesis 1 image of Christ, That's what he's trying to do in Romans 8, to bring good about everything that happens to us in order to make you more like Christ. That's encouragement. You are his beloved. The challenge is now, as his beloved, as a representative and ambassador of the king, we are to now go make him known to this other group. Let's look at about a few facts about this group today. As we said here in our beautiful church, the best estimates say that roughly... 10% of all people are followers of the most high Jesus. They call his name. I know some statistics say one out of three are Christians, but a group I like called the Joshua Project, you can go online and look up joshuaproject.org, says that only about 10% of people that um, are true believers of the king. So that means that 6.5 billion people in our earth do not know Christ and are at enmity with God. They're without Jesus or his hope or eternal purpose for their life. Whose responsibility are these people? Whose are they? Ours. It's our responsibility to go and make Jesus known to this group. We don't have time to play games here at our church, making ourselves look better and more comfortable. Because of who we are in Jesus, I'll challenge you, because of the great riches we have in him, we don't have time to sit here and live out a nice, comfortable American dream. Too much is at stake. We have a king that deserves the glory from every people group on the planet we call earth. This is why you and I were created. We were created to make his excellencies known to the world. We weren't created to build our portfolios, build our homes, build our careers, and we weren't created to raise our kids to do the same. No, we were bought with the high price of the death and the resurrection of Jesus to be Acts 1-8 witnesses to all the world, locally and to the uttermost part of the earth. Matthew 18 through 20, we are here, 18, 18 through 20, here to make disciples of all nations. We were called, church, to make his name known and his fame known, to multiply his kingdom here and abroad. Sometimes we get confused and we think we're just saved from this group, from wrath and judgment, into this group, and now we're in, we're great. It's not true. It's a two-way trip. We're saved to this group to go back to that group to bring more of that group over here to make God's glory known and his fame. It's not about us and our own glory. 
It's not about the American dream. It's about the dream that there should be worshipers before the king of every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's about him using us on his mission to all people here abroad. Before we dive into our passage for today, let me give you one pushback on a question that I often get. I want to disarm you automatically. The pushback I often receive is that there are many needs right here in Plano and Frisco. Why do we need to go to the nations? First off, our mission teams spend about 90 plus percent of their time right here locally, here in the church and in the community, making God's glory known. I'm in no way saying there are not needs right here in our own backyard, so please don't hear that. What I am saying is that global missions is desperately underserved. For example, an average Christian gives 2% of all they make to the church, and the church gives 2.5% of that to global causes. So 2.5% of 2% of what American Christians make gets to the global mission field. Praise the Lord. Here at LifePoint, we do much better. One more example of underserved people globally. Pakistan, one of our newest partners, has a total population of 191 million people. Only 1%, 1 out of 100, consider themselves as evangelical Christians who believe in the name of Jesus. They're unreached people group. There are no churches, no radio stations, no TV stations to help them find Jesus. In contrast, Collin County, two out of three people claim the name of Jesus. Now, I know that leaves 200,000 people here in Collin County that don't know Christ, and they are our responsibilities. But there's also lots of churches here, lots of radio stations, and lots of TV stations where people can hear. So I'm not saying don't go local. I want to disarm you this morning. But I am saying I believe the global church is really underserved. Paul says this in Romans 1.5. I am called, Paul says, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. So this morning I want us to look at three theological truths that I hope will lead us to three theological answers so that we will give and go and pray for our neighbors and the nation. Let's get started by watching a short video that talks about some of our excuses for not going. Can you help me, please? I'm stuck. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. I have zero experience in lumberjacking. Thank God you're here. Can you make some food? I've been stuck here for six days, and all I've had to eat are two pine cones. Well, I'm not a nutritionist, so I wouldn't know what someone in your condition would do. Do something! Uh, do what? I'm, I'm not a zoologist. There's a gun in the tent. Get the gun. I don't have a license. I've never operated... Uh, Look, just throw a rock or something. I'm not a geologist. I don't know which one would be most effective. Oh, I, I don't want to die. I don't even know if I'll get into heaven. Do you at least know how to get into heaven? Well, actually, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a theologian, so I wouldn't really know what to say to you. But, you know, if you ever get out of here, you really should look into it. So, their excuses are a dime a dozen, right? And I know some excuses are legitimate, 
and, and they are. But this morning, I want to challenge you to not look for excuses and to not ask why I should go, but ask why I should not go. And then if there are legitimate excuses, that's between you and God. If you have your Bible with me this morning, I want you to turn to Revelations 5. We're going to look at verse 1 through 10 and find three theological truths out of this. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Don't get caught up this morning with seven seals and seven this, four of that. Just look at the big picture here. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I begin to weep loudly, John says, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You get the picture here, the big picture? We're in heaven, and somebody sits on the throne, and he has a scroll in his hand. And it says, who can open the scroll? And no one, it says, in heaven, under the earth, on the earth, could open the scroll. And then somebody rises up in the midst of all this, walks up, grabs a scroll, and opens it, and they all fall down and worship. So let's look at three theological truths from this this morning. One, our sovereign God holds the destiny of the world in his righteous right hand. Our sovereign God holds the destiny of the world in his righteous right hand. Revelations 5.1, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. Who is the one on the throne? Revelations 4.11 tells us, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. Followed immediately by 5.1, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll. Good news, God holds a scroll. The world does not exist for you and me. It exists for God Almighty. We have no rights. It's all about him. God alone is sovereign. Galatians 2.20 says, We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but now he lives in us and we live, lives through us. Dead men have no rights. You and I have been crucified with Christ, and now God is sovereign and we are in him. A.W. Tozer, in the book Knowledge of the Holy, says it much better than I can. So I want to read you an excerpt from that about God's sovereignty. He says, Almighty God, just because he is almighty, needs no support. The picture of a nervous, ingratiating God fawning over men to win their favor is not a pleasant one. Yet if we look at the popular conception of God, that is precisely what we see. 
20th century Christianity, and I would add 21st century Christianity, has put God on charity. So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy, not to say even enjoyable, to believe that we are necessary to God. Probably the hardest thought of all for our natural egotism to entertain is that God does not need our help. We commonly represent him as a busy, eager, somewhat frustrated father, hurrying about seeking help to carry out his benevolent plan, the plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. Tozer goes on to write, Too many missionary appeals are based upon this fancied frustration of Almighty God. An effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them, and yet has failed for want of support. I fear thousands of younger persons enter Christian service from no higher motive than this, to help to deliver God from the embarrassing situation that his love has gotten him into and his limited abilities seem unable to get him out of. Add to this, Tozer says, a certain degree of commendable idealism and a fair amount of compassion for the underprivileged, and you have the true drive behind much Christianity today. It shouldn't be this way. Let me remind us of a fact God does not need us. All of us could disappear right now and God would still make a great name for himself and his glory would still be known among the nations. Our going out locally and globally is about his glory and making him known, not about us. God involves us in his mission, not because he needs us, but because he loves us. And in his mercy, he has invited you and me, us as a church, to be a part of his sovereign design for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. But be assured that he is sovereign and he holds a scroll in his hand. He is in control. Regardless of what happens in France, regardless of what happens in Asia or Europe, God is in control. His ways, his glory will not be thwarted. Second theological truth this morning. The state of man before God, apart from Christ, is absolutely hopeless. Apart from God, apart from Christ, you and I, mankind, would be absolutely hopeless. This group, apart from Christ, absolutely hopeless. This group, in Christ, hope. Hopeful. Revelations 5.2 says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the sea was able to open the scroll. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. The scroll in this passage contains the grand purpose of God and the redemption of the world. All the plans beginning to end, the end of evil, the end of pain, the end of struggling with sin are contained in the scroll. The end of disease, the renewal of the earth and the new kingdom. Who can open the scroll? And the silence of heaven testifies to the sinfulness of man. No one is worthy. John sees the absolute hopelessness of man apart from Jesus. What is that? Let me read you several short scripture passages. Apart from Christ, this group, Colossians 1.21 says they're cut off from Christ. Romans 5.12, under the condemnation of God. Enslaved to sin and the snare of the devil, John 8, 34. The object of God's wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. Destined to die forever in hell, a place of fiery agony, Mark 9. Eternally in constant torment, Luke 16. The way we talk about hell, 
Hell of a game, hell of a song, shows we have no idea what we're talking about when it comes to hell. John is weeping, wailing over the prospect of people's eternal wrath apart from God. We must understand this state of people, the unreached world, the dominion of darkness, in order to help them. It says we haven't heard of Jesus. They haven't heard of Jesus, some say. Yet the Bible says that they have heard of God and seen him. Romans 1, 18 through 23 says this. What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Although they knew God, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like birds and animals and reptiles. People often ask me, well, what about the innocent man in Africa? That's an easy answer. He goes to heaven. The dilemma is there is no innocent man in Africa. He does not exist there are no innocent, unrich people. According to this passage, they are not innocent, and they stand guilty before God and thus need the gospel. They need Jesus. This group are absolutely hopeless without him. According to statistics, 4.5 to 6.5 billion people at this moment whose knowledge of God is only sufficient to damn them to hell forever. They know he exists and yet have willingly rejected him and have earned his wrath and judgment. It's absolutely hopeless in this state. Some of you in here this morning in a group this big are in this group. You're absolutely hopeless. You are scared to death to face God someday. It doesn't have to be that way. It will lead us to the third theological truth. There is hope. Number three, the greatest news in all the world is that the slaughtered Lamb of God reigns as the sovereign Lord of all and is the propitiation for us. I love that big theological word, propitiation. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Who is the slaughtered Lamb of God? He is the sovereign Lord of all. Revelations 5, 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Genesis 49.10 says, Jesus, he was promised centuries ago to patriarchs of old, the lion, the tribe of Judah, to whom shall be the obedience of the peoples. Isaiah 11, he is the root of David. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its root shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him and he will stand as a signal for the peoples. Jeremiah 23, 5, I will raise up, declares the sovereign Lord, for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. That's the good news, church family. Throughout history, no man could do it, but Jesus did. Every single man and every woman is a slave to Satan and a dominion of darkness. All of them, generation after generation, century after century, every single man and every single woman the greatest, the most beautifulest, the strongest, the kindest, the most benevolent, every single man guilty before God, and they all succumb to death. 
But then, church, the good news, there came another man here in Revelation. Unlike any man or woman before, this man did not fall prey to sin. He possessed power over sin. This man was not enslaved to Satan. He was enslaved to righteousness. This man did not succumb to death. He triumphed over death. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15. How did he conquer? By suffering as the Lamb of God. The perfect sacrifice, the atonement for our sin. Look, John 1.29 says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does Isaiah tell us about the Lamb of God? He prophesied that he would be marred, despised, rejected, stricken, smitten, afflicted, wounded, chastised, oppressed, and pulverized for us in our place. And just like the Hebrew people Isaiah talked about on Passover, all who hide under the banner of the blood of Jesus will be saved. The Lamb of God has not only endured death in our place, he defeated death in the power, by his power, in our place. The propitiation for our sin and guilt before God, Jesus brought it. He bears the scars of death, yet he is sovereign over death. Jesus the Lamb turned away God's wrath towards us and reconciled us to him. That's what propitiation means. That Jesus turned God's wrath away from us and reconciled us to God, and now we're at peace with him. Sometime do a Bible study on propitiation. Great word. Do a Bible study on the imputed righteousness of God. Great word. Sometimes we simplify things too much. Revelation 5, 7 says this, He, Jesus, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. One writer says this would have been breathtaking audacity. No one was moving. Heaven was silent, and the Lamb rises up, the one that's worthy, our sacrifice, and takes the scroll. Philippians 8, 2, 8, 9 says that if you could fat or... Um, let me say this first. Jesus obedient to death, even on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him, the name above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it's by his grace, this grace, that we were saved. Propitiation, imputed righteousness, those big theological words, that we were saved. Salvation came to us through sacrifice. The consummation of the kingdom comes through the crucifixion of God's Son. What seemed to be a defeat for three short days turned out to be our ultimate victory. For all who will believe, repent, receive, and surrender, there is hope. Hope for you and me and all the nations and all the people. Revelations 5, 8 through 10 says, For living, four living creatures and 24 elders fell down and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Election, atonement, grace, propitiation, all those simply mean he chose you, 
He ransomed you. He purchased you. And now as a child of the king, you are his. Ephesians 1, 4 through 11 says it this way. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has chosen you in him before the foundation of the world. That what? That you should be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined you to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in him, Jesus. In him, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, I'll say lavishes, on you according to his purpose. In him, it goes on to say, you, this group, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God purposed to save you. Jesus purposed to save you. Think about that with me for a moment and be encouraged. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your struggles, your mourning from loss, your barrenness, your disease, whatever you are suffering at this moment, know that Jesus knows. He not only knows, he intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. He loves you and he's working for your good. He's working out your suffering and pain for his glory and to make you more Christ-like and dependent on him. If you've never made this choice to go from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light, you can make that choice today. It's your choice. There'll be people back here in the connection room after the service. And if you know what, don't know what it means or you fear death, then you can talk to one of us back there today and get that right. It's very simple. To all those who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God and be at peace. Church family, if there are 6,000 people groups, and there are that still have not been reached, then this hope of Christ, this gospel, should challenge us to go to them. Our obedience to the Great Commission of Christ is incomplete if we just make disciples here in the U.S. Our commission is to make disciples to all the nations of all peoples. Jesus' sacrifice and atonement should drive us to global missions. Revelations 5, 9 said that Jesus died to purchase people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Let us go to every tribe, tongue, and nation as individuals and as a church. Why? Not because we feel guilty. No, don't let that drive you. Please don't hear that from me today. I don't want you to go locally and or globally because you feel guilty. I don't want you to do that. Guilt is a horrible motivator. My grandmother guilted me all my life, and it's a horrible motivator. You learn to resent it. What drives passion for our neighbors and the nations, it's God's glory. A glory for our king to make him known for his name's sake. God is gathering for himself a, a group of people, a royal priesthood, to praise him and give him glory. And we have been included in his love and mercy to be able to go and be a part of the ingathering. We don't have to go. We get to go. We go because our sovereign God, our King, deserves the praise, not just of 10,000 people groups, but all 16,000 people groups. So knowing these three theological truths, what should we do about them? First, pray confidently for the spread of the gospel here and to all nations. Matthew 24, 14 says that the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We pray your kingdom come 
We need to pray for the end to come, to fulfill that mission, to take the gospel to the world. And then the end will come. And we can do what we were created to do, and that's be in heaven, a new heaven and an earth. We have a prayer room right across here that has a map on the world. You'll see pictures up here of those who have gone, those who have said, I will go, I will give, and I will go. Pray at home. Pray for God to send harvesters into the harvest. Pray for those God sends from our church. Pray for our global partners in Nigeria, Zambia, South Africa, Haiti, Vietnam, the Philippines, Nicaragua, Italy. Go online to the Joshua Project and learn about one of these nations and begin to pray specifically. Pray that God would send you, that God would send your kids. Do you realize maybe the only reason you are on this earth is to raise the next generation that can reach their generation with the gospel? Pray your kids will go. Pray that God would send you and your kids. Prayer is our only tool to be able to fight in the unseen world. So first, pray. Secondly, give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, Now this I say, who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just his purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. In other words, abundance to make him known. Let me restate the sad statistic with an illustration. Can you see this? This is a $100 bill. You see this? This is a nickel. According to statistics, for every $100 you and I as American Christians earn... One nickel gets the global mission filled. Do you not call that underserved? 100 equals a nickel. That shouldn't be, and praise God, it's different here in our church. We Americans are the richest people ever to walk on planet Earth, and much will be expected of us by our King. Here at LifePoint, as we show some of these pictures, we support 52 orphans in Haiti. We built their small village and we provide food, clothing, shelter, education, and medical care, and discipleship through their caregivers they call mamas. We're in the process of building a school for them. We help educate not only our 52 orphans, we also help educate 850 other kids in their community. Why? To make God known to them so they can reach and change their nation when they grow up and ultimately to bring glory to God. We encourage and support their pastors when needed and make Jesus known to their nation when needed. You can go with us February 18th through 23rd of this next year to Haiti. We also partner and support um, our pastors in the Philippines. We encourage several dozen pastors there as they make Jesus known to their nation. We've supplied resources so they can expand their churches. And recently, we provided the resources to build a church on the edge of evangelical Filipino, which is in Batangas, we're the first, we built the first evangelical church in the Philippines, in that province, that area. We equip them when we have to, and we encourage them when we need to. But it's all about bringing God's glory to them and their nation. A few weeks ago, PG told you about what we're doing in Pakistan. We're trying to, under the radar, quietly support our Pakistani brothers in um, Pakistan as they reach Muslim world with Christ. We do it quietly. We're going to go there this next year. You probably won't hear until we've gone, just for safety. People often say, is it, is it safe overseas? 
And I would answer it by the way they answered it in the Chronicles of Narnia. He said, is Aslan, is, is he he's safe? He said, oh no, he's not safe, but he's good. That good God takes us abroad to the nations. Is it safe? Not always. But would you rather die here on the golf course or on the mission field taking the glory of God to the nations? I would rather be in there. Third, go. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us a special way when we are discipling and going to the nations. Our dream here at LifePoint is to send short-term, mid-term, and long-term missionaries. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things through Jesus. We've supported many of our church members already who have gone abroad, and we want to support more. You can start by going with us to Haiti or to the Philippines. Haiti, February 2018 through 23, and the Philippines, March 29th through April the 8th. Go with us. I challenge you to go. In the New Testament, we see two types of people, the minion of darkness and those who are under light, and we see two kind of people reaching them. We see the Timothy type, who stay here in the church among the reach and shepherd and disciple the body. To do what? Shepherd and disciple to do what? To go, to pray, to give. And then there are the Paul types. These types are reached, to go to the unreached, and are scattered to the nations. And I know this morning God is calling some of you to be a Paul type, to pack up your bags, sell all you have, and go to the nations. It's scary, but God is good. The question I often ask is, why don't we just send money and let the people do it over there? Because most of the places in the unreached world, there are no Christians to tell them, and there are no local churches. That's what it means to be unreached. God's design is not for you and me to send them our money so they can lose their lives and be imprisoned, but he's calling us to go as well. God is calling you. As we close here today, let me challenge you, LifePoint Church, my church family, the group I love, to be finished with, done with weak theology that results in weak approaches to missions. Weak theology just makes us feel guilty. Strong, deep theology leads us to go to bring glory to God. I want you to feel challenged this morning as well as encouraged. Here's my challenge to you, to believe deeply in that first theological point that the sovereign God of the universe holds the destiny of the world in the palm of his hand. Secondly, to sense deeply the hopeless state of man apart from Christ. And thirdly, to believe he is the answer for the world so that we go to the nations with the greatest news in the world, the gospel message that we've been saved by a gracious and glorious sacrifice by the one who is now our king. Jesus is worthy of our praise. I challenge us not to stop doing what you're doing until Jesus, the sovereign Lord of all, receives the glorious reward for his suffering, the praise of every people, tongue, tribe, and nation. Revelations 5, 11 through 14 ends that passage this way. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's our cry this morning. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain 
to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures like us today said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us pray. Abba Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for all that you have done for us. God, for your glory that abounds here locally and to the nations. God, you are our good king that we serve. We want to be about your business. The business of going to those in the dominion of darkness and bringing them into that marvelous light, the glorious and gracious kingdom of Jesus, our Lord and King. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We know you've given us love. And so we want to pour that out locally into the nations. God, I pray over my church family today that you would bless them, that you would bless them with the knowledge that you are their king and that they are loved by you, that they are your beloved and that you love them, you adore them. God, may they have that gift here at Thanksgiving to know that you love them, that you purpose them and now you work through all our struggles and suffering to make us more like you, to bring you glory. And God, for anyone in the congregation here this morning that does not know you, may you convict them this morning. May you draw them with your love so that they can receive you through repentance, belief, and surrender. God, may we as your Christians do the same this morning. May we come away here with a clean slate because we've done business with you. We've been renewed. You've forgotten our past and now our future is in you to make you known to all the nations. May your glory abound in us individually, us as a church, and to the nations. Thank you, God, that you are sovereign and you are in control and you're the one we serve. For it's in Jesus' name we give you worship, we give you honor and glory and praise. Amen.